the story that you told. <laughs> uh, when David Burnett, my student, came in this morning, he, uh, he must have been talking to Troy, because he said to me, just what Troy said to you, he said, I've just come to check you out, this is exactly what he said, to see if you teach the same heresy here at the Sunday School class <laughs> that you do at the college. <laughs> And, uh, and, and our class says, yes, yes that's right. <laughs> There's no difference whatsoever. And if you're visiting our class, we hope you uh, enjoy this time together. And if you've joined the class, we hope you'll come to the luncheon on May 18th, because one of the important things about a Sunday school class is that you get bonded into the class. That means you make friends. And a class this size, you can become anonymous, and we know that. So this is a great time just to get to know all the leaders and to get the leaders to know you. You meet the, new, the other new members. Uh, we'll tell you about small groups. We have a lot of information that we hand out that day. And it will just be an opportunity for you to get to meet a few people. And then when you come in the following week, you'll know them. You'll sit with them if you want to. And uh, it just makes it a more pleasant experience. So we hope that that you'll come to that membership lunch. Now we're in Luke chapter 8, so let's take our Bibles and let's open to Luke chapter 8. And by the way, if you miss any of our lessons or you have just started the President's class, you can find our lessons for the past six or eight weeks on our website at simplypresidentsclass.org. And these are streaming videos you can watch. That's why we have the bright lights right here and a camera, so you can actually watch these on, uh, on the computer screen the Monday after the class. So last week, we dealt with the end of chapter 7, and we saw a jaded woman, if you want to call her that, that's a nice way of saying a prostitute, come into a banquet or an evening dinner and anoint Jesus' hair, uh, anoint Jesus' feet with very expensive oil, which she probably earned through her illicit activities. And she wiped his feet with her hair. She let her hair down, which was a no-no in those days. A very provocative act. And she wiped his feet with her hair. This caused a ruckus in the banquet hall. Uh, she was judged as being an unfit person. She, a person who was undesirable for that occasion. And Jesus said, well, you've judged her wrongly. She's actually been forgiven. And a person who's been forgiven much shows a lot of gratitude. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 8. Okay, we're going to move on to chapter 8. Now look at verse 1. Now it came to pass afterward that he, that's Jesus, went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings or the good news or the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, we know from previous weeks that this is Jesus' mission. He was sent to go into every village and town and preach good news about the kingdom of God, which means that God was about to break in uh, to the lives of the Jewish people and others who responded to God and free them from oppression. So, Jesus is fulfilling that mission, and that's what we have here in verse 1. Look at the end of verse 1. It says, and the twelve, that's the apostles, were with him. Now, this is the first time they're mentioned since chapter 6. Now, notice it simply says they're with him. They're not actually preaching. 
They are his companions. They are observing. They are learning through his example. They are being trained to minister, although they're not preaching yet. He is training them for the time when he will send them out to preach, which happens in the next chapter, chapter 9. So these are his traveling companions. And then look at verse 2. It says, and certain women. Not only were the 12 with him, but certain women. What kind of women? Women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Women on the margin. <coughs> women who were unclean. Women who were not uh, part of uh, the upper class of society. Outcast, if you will. They have now joined Jesus' entourage going from city to city and they have become his followers. Now, I need to say something at that point. For women to follow a man around from city to city was uh, not socially acceptable. And now these women are named. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. She was exorcised. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna. These are, and it says, and many others. And many others. These are women, for the most part, on the margins. People who had demon spirits, people who were sick, infirm, they were unclean. Uh, they begin to follow Jesus. <clears throat> One was the wife of Herod's manager. Uh, this is Herod Antipas. Remember, there was Herod the Great who built the temple, then he died, and four of his sons took over, and this is one of his sons who was reigning up in the area of Galilee. This woman evidently has been converted. She was infirm, sick. Jesus has healed her. She has left the household of Caesar, and she is now following Jesus. This is the Herod, by the way, where her husband works, who executed John the Baptist. He's no friend of prophets, and he's certainly no friend of Jesus. The same Herod that Jesus said called that fox. Now, how did Jesus know what was going on inside of Herod's uh, realm to say he's a fox? He's a foxy person. You can't trust him. He's a deceiver. He's a very sly person. How would he get that information from Susanna? She was an insider. She feeds Jesus the information, most likely. He knows what's going on inside these people's palaces and everything. Uh, and now this woman has left all, and she's followed him. And many others. And look what it says at the end of verse 3. It says, They provided for him, or for the team, from their substance. Now, these, most of these women, except Susanna, who's listed here, were probably single women. Uh, that's why they had substance. Married women had no substance. Their husbands had substance. Uh, they were given an allowance. So most likely these were single women. Poor women in the sense that they were not 
part of the social elite. Women who made money through devious means and immoral means, such as prostitution. They had money that way, and they are providing for Jesus and his team financially. Now, women following a rabbi around from city to city would have been looked upon with uh, great suspicion. Uh, it would have all kinds of sexual overtones. Uh, this man would have been looked upon as not a holy man <laughs> to be traveling with an entourage of women. Uh, today we might look upon Jesus if uh, we were living back in those times and we were part of the religious elite, we might look upon Jesus as a cult leader. Maybe like the cult down in El Dorado where one man has a lot of women. It would have those kinds of sexual overtones. Now we know from last week we had a woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair and she was a prostitute and she was judged wrongly. Remember that? The Pharisee jumped to conclusion and said, she's unclean, she's a sinner. The truth of the matter is, she was a sinner and she was unclean, but guess what? She's been cleansed by Jesus and she's been forgiven. That's there was no sexual overtones when she dropped her hair and washed his feet. Even though that was not part of, you know, what would be recognized as social decorum in that day. She didn't know how to live according to social decorum. She'd just been converted. She did what she thought would be the best thing. Why she speak with her hair? And these women, there should be, never should, even though I imagine that the people who looked upon this entourage said, sexual overtones, watch out for that guy. We know from last week that we, as the readers, are not to come to that conclusion. These are women who have been set free from the demons, who have been set free from the infirmities, who've been set free from their sins. Does that make sense? So that's what you have, and this is how Jesus basically is being cared for. But you need to understand that this would be considered shameless behavior by uh, the mores of society. Okay? So let's don't judge before we really look at what happens. So well, you're going to see how this thing fits into context. It's very important. When you see this, because in verse four, we come to the parable of the sower and that goes through verse, you know, verse 15. Now, the pastor just a few weeks ago preached on the parable of the sower and did a very good job and explained it very clearly. So we're not going to go in detail over this passage. Uh, I'm not going to preach a second sermon on it. OK, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it. I'm going to make a couple comments and I'm going to put it in the context for you. Because when Luke tells this parable, he puts it in a certain part of his letter, of his book, in a certain way. He, he arranges it in a certain order with the story before it about the women and a story that comes after it. And he puts it there for a reason. You'll see how it all fits together. I think that your eyes will be open. So let's just read at verse 4. And when a great multitude had gathered, so that it shows how his fame had spread and Hundreds of people come around. They had come to him from every city. And so he spoke a parable. And here's what he said. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell on the wayside, and it was trampled down. It's the farmer spreading his seed, just throwing it out. 
it's trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as soon as it sprang up, just had a thin layer of dirt over top of the rock, as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, ground that was infested with thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And others fell on good ground and sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And we had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus uses an agricultural illustration that they would be very familiar with to prove or drive home a point. And he says, now listen, you who have ears, listen. Verse 9, then his disciples ask him, saying, well, what does this parable mean? And he said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Well, now he tells us something. He tells us that this is about the kingdom of God. And he's going to let the disciples in on it. And on the meaning. But to the rest, the rest who do not have ears, do not have the ears to hear, it is given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So he's just going to allow his disciples in on the meaning. Now look at verse 11. He's going to explain the meaning. Now here, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. That's the gospel that he's preaching. The gospel of the kingdom. Remember, that's what he was preaching. The gospel of the kingdom. What's this parable about? The kingdom. Okay? So the seed in the parable that the man throws on the ground is the word of God. The gospel. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. So now we're going to discover that the soil upon which the seed falls represents people who hear. The soils represent different kinds of reception to the word that's preached. So notice what he says in verse 12. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes. And takes away the word or the gospel out of their heart, lest they should believe and be saved. So they hear, but they don't receive. They're not receptive. They hear it with their ears. They hear it physically, but it never takes root. Before it can even take root, it's snatched by Satan, lest they believe and be saved. So they haven't believed. Okay, that's number one. Look at verse 13. But the ones on the rock, or those, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Notice there is initial enthusiasm. And remember in the parable, there was a little dirt and it just sprung up and then it died because of lack of moisture. That's what it says. They receive it with joy. And these have no root. Who believe for a while... And in time, in the time of temptation, fall 
away. So these are people who initially receive the word, but it still doesn't take root. See, that's the important thing. It doesn't take root. Now, it says they believe. Notice, who believe for a while. They initially believe. But there's not persevering faith. It's just temporary. So notice there is a belief that doesn't lead to, lead to salvation. There's a belief that's not saving faith. A lot of people will walk an aisle in the church today and say, I believe, I believe, and we'll see them for a while, and then they'll drop by the wayside. The word came in. They were so excited. Oh, I love First Baptist Church. I, I'm going to be a Christian. They go forward and they say, I'm giving my life to Christ. And after three or four or five or six or ten weeks, you never see them. They're not interested in spiritual things anymore. Notice it says they believe for a while in verse 13. And in a time of temptation. That means in a time of trial. Something happens in their life. It shocks them. They say, why did God allow this to happen? Put their fist in the face of God and they blame God for that. Or they are enthusiastic and they say, I'm a Christian. They tell people at work the next day. And guess what? They said, if you use that name here, you're going to be fired. And they start facing persecution. And guess what? Suddenly they zip their lip and they, they lose their enthusiasm for Christianity. And so there is this initial reception, but there's no root. I look at verse 14. <laughs> Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, that means concerns, riches, that means money, and pleasures of life, that means entertainment and vacations and all that and they bring no fruit to maturity so this is those who fall amongst the thorns it grows up but thorns grow up and the thorns choke out the crop it's like i have weeds in my yard guess what grows well in my yard <laughs> weeds how about the grass seed that's choked out by the weeds so there's, it ends up saying in verse 14, no fruit to maturity. No fruit that lasts. So why, does it, why do these people fall by the wayside? Because of concerns? Yeah, but if I become a Christian, you mean I'm going to have to tithe? <laughs> what if, you know, riches? See, look at this. Money? They, they're concerned about these kinds of things, all these temporary things. The pleasures of life, you mean I have to make a commitment to come to church, and, but how about my vacation house out in, you know, San Diego? See, they don't want, they want to just, they don't want to live for Christ, they want to live for who? Themselves. <coughs> and those are thorns in your life that choke out <coughs> any possibility of salvation. It says no fruit to Maturity. Now, you can't say this about the women, can you? Are they concerned? Is money an issue in their life? They give it all away. Pleasures of life? 
Hey, this woman was living in a palace. She had the pleasures of life. Susanna. See, these women have given it all. See, these represent the soils in verse 15. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it. Look at that. Guard it. And bear fruit with patience. They guard it. They don't allow the cares of the world to choke it out. They guard it. They don't allow Satan to snatch the word away. And they bear fruit with patience, perseverance, through thick and thin. They just keep serving the Lord. No matter what the circumstances are, they persevere. Do tests come in these people's lives? Do tests come in the lives of the apostles? Yes. In fact, I can tell you one apostle who chose to be concerned about money and riches and the pleasures of life and what happened to him. He fell by the wayside. The others gave all. Everything they had. Some sold all and they threw it in a big pot. We know that in the book of Acts in chapter 2. They just gave it all. And others sold land and they just gave it all. And they followed Jesus right to the end even if they were persecuted and even if they were put to death. They never denounced him. None of these problems. They didn't have these. They, they had concerns. Uh, they had opportunities to think about the riches. But they settled once and for all they were going to follow Jesus no matter what through thick and thin. Did test come? Yes. For how long did test come in these disciples' lives? Yeah, the rest of his whole life. Some died serving Jesus. How about Jesus? Did tests and temptations come in Jesus' life? At the beginning of his ministry, did he have a test? Did Satan test him? Did he have one at the end of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane? He didn't want to die. He could have gotten that. All he had to do was renounce God. That's all he had to do. All he had to do was care about his own life. Care, out, care for number one. He could have gotten out of all the death, all the trouble. When he was hanging on the cross, did he have a test? If you be the Christ, save yourself and us. Get down from that cross. Gospel writer says he could have called 10,000 angels and they would have rescued him. If he just cared about his own life, but he cared about you. He wanted to serve God to the end. See, test will continue to come. So it, the mark of the real believer is the one who perseveres to the end. That's why Bunyan in his Pilgrim's Progress, I've mentioned this before, but it just amazes me every time I think about it. In the story of Pilgrim's Progress, Christian is right at the door of the celestial city, ready to enter in. But there's a sign that says, it's a detour sign. It says, go this way. If you go that way, the path leads straight down to hell. Right at the edge of heaven's door. He could have still fallen and gone right down. You see, we have to persevere to the end. In order to keep saved? No. In order to get saved? No. That is the evidence that you are saved. The one who is saved is the one who overcomes and perseveres to the end. 
When Luke's audience reads this, they understand that. That salvation is always in the present. It's not enough to say, I was saved, and then live like the devil right now. It's, I was saved, I am being saved, I will be saved. It's continuous, past, present, and future. We go from <laughs> faith to faith to faith, from glory to glory. So, Jesus tells that parable. Now look at verse 16. Jesus says this. No one, when he has lit a lamp, that would be an oil lamp, covers it with a vessel. You don't put a pan over top of it. Or puts it under a bed. But sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. Now, this is what we call a truism, this statement. I would say that if you uh, turn flip the switch on in your house, you don't then go and cover the light up. You let it shine. Why? Because you want to see what's in the room. That's called a truism. So what we have is Jesus gives a truism in verse 16. No one has a lamp and puts it under the bed or puts a vessel over top of it. However, he's relating that truism to the story or the parable of the sower and the soils. Very important that you get this. See, how you hear, now watch this very carefully, how you hear or receive the message, and then how you behave afterwards, see, indicates whether you're a real believer or not. No one lights a lamp and then covers it up. There's no such thing as secret service Christians. Amen. Now watch this very carefully. Look at verse 17. <clears throat> For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, and nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. In other words, in the end you'll be exposed for what you really are. Whether you're a real believer or whether you're not a real believer. In the end, you'll be exposed for what you really are. Now look at verse 18. Because this is the lesson. Therefore, in light of everything that he said, here it is. Therefore, take heed how you, what? Hear. For whoever has to him will be given. Whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. Now let me show you how all this fits together. Look at verse 18. Therefore take heed how you what? Here. Here. Okay, now look back at verse 15. Some fell on the good ground, and those having what? Heard. Okay, look at verse 14. Some among the thorns, when they have what? Heard. Look at verse 15, 13. Ones among the rock are those who, when they have heard. Look at verse 12. Those among the wayside, the ones who what? Hear. Hear, 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 hear. And then verse 18. Therefore, see, take heed how you what? Hear. See, it's not enough just to hear physically. And then allow Satan to come and snatch it. 
That's a short-lived faith, isn't it? It's not enough for you to hear and be all excited and then some trial come and you reject Christ. That's a short-lived faith, isn't it? It's not enough that you hear and then get caught up in the cares of this world and the riches and the pleasures of life and you think about number one, but you still go to church. You still go to church. See? But you're not living the way he wants you to live because your concern is not with his kingdom, it's with yourself. The only one that counts is verse 15. Those who have heard with a good heart keep and bear fruit. There's evidence in the long haul with patience. With patience. So the question, therefore, is, verse 18, therefore, the bottom line, take heed how you hear. So the question is, how do you hear? Do you hear like the people in verse 12? Do you hear like the people in verse 13? Do you hear like the people in verse 14? Or do you hear like the people in verse 15? That's the question. How do you hear? Take heed. Watch out how you hear. Now look at verse 19. Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd, because of the hundreds of people that were around. So here's Mary and James and John and others and these brothers. And it was told to him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who what? Hear the word of God and what? Do it. You see, what would you say this is about? Hearing? <laughs> I think this is about hearing the word. How do you receive the gospel that's preached? My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word. Watch. Not like those in 12, not like those in 13, not like those in 14, but like those in 15 who do it. Continually do it. Live out the gospel. So, who belongs to Jesus' family? Who are the real members of his family? Who's his real mothers and brothers and sisters? Those who obey the word. Those who hear the word and do it, which takes us then back to verse 1. So I'm going to show you how it all fits together. So look at verse 1. It came to pass afterwards that he went through every city, preaching and bringing glad tidings of the kingdom of God. That's the word. And 12 were what? With him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom came seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for him. They didn't just hear it and say, okay, but now I'm concerned about riches of life. I'm concerned about pleasures of life going on a vacation. I can't afford to give to the building program. I can't afford to... Or whatever it is. 
I can't afford to give to missions. And provided for him from their substance. You see, this is Jesus' new family. There's Jesus' family right there. Who are these people? Those on the margins? Those that society rejects? See, his family, he's forming a new family that's open to everyone regardless of station in life. It's open to all who hear and then show forth the behavior that he calls for. Not only do they hear the word, but they do it. Not only do they hear the word, but they act upon it. Not only do they hear the word, but they obey the word. Notice in verse 3 it says, who provided for him out of their substance. Greek word there is the same word from which we get our word deacon. It means service. They served him. They served him. See, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, then what must you do? Be a servant of all. Not serve yourself, but serve others. This is why the least in this world can become great in God's kingdom. And this is why it's so hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Because the rich person has so much. So much going for them. And it's very costly. And all of us in this class, for the most part, are rich. And we need to say to ourselves, how have we heard the word? Like those in verse 12? Like those in verse 13? Like those in verse 14? Or are we like those in verse 15? You say, but you don't know what I have. You don't know what it would cost me. But I, but, but. No. We're all called to hear the word and obey it. That's why it's hard for rich people. But next week, it's very interesting. You can, he shows that you can do it. Because in verse 22, even the wind and the waves obey him. And when he speaks a word, the wind and the waves receive the word and obey him. If the wind and the waves can obey him, can't you? <laughs> yeah. See, this is the thing. The whole thing is about how we receive the word and who indeed is eligible to be a member of Christ's new family. That he, He's building a new society. These people, these women, these people on the margins didn't fit into the old society. They were rejected as outcasts, unclean, unfit to hang around with people like us. But Jesus is building a new society based on a new principle. A principle where even women can get into the kingdom. Can you imagine such a thing? He's building a new society, a kingdom in which 
even the least, can be great in his kingdom. Those of us who have been born rich, in one sense, have been born with a curse. <laughs> we really have. Because it cost us so much more. Because to surrender our lives to Christ and make the kind of commitment that he demands, hearing and obeying, means we have a lot more to give up than the person on the street. We're like Susanna. You had to give up the palace in order to follow him. Now, Christ never says that riches are bad. And the Apostle Paul says that the important thing is that we don't trust in our riches. And that we use our riches. We're stewards of everything that he's given us. And that we're to use our riches to advance his kingdom. So next week we'll pick up with how even the wind and the waves obey him. And when we get finished... Not only do we discover that demons obey him, not only do diseases flee when he speaks, not only do the dead rise back to life when Jesus speaks, the wind and the waves obey him, and he expects us to obey him as well. Let's stop right there. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to see that to whom much is given, much is required. We have a great responsibility in your kingdom. Oh, Lord, help us to, to use it wisely, our funds and our, our properties and our <clears throat> accumulated wealth. Uh, Lord, help us to realize that, that this is something that we need to invest in and use for your glory and invest in for eternity. <clears throat> Lord, you didn't bring us to this gospel of Luke for no reason. You brought us to this word to hear it. And then obey it. So, Lord, start with me. Help me to be ever more aware of what you want me to do with the people around me. And how you want me to serve you in your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you.